Kathy Jack was around 18 years old when she started frequenting the Dallas gay bars. There was one club in Dallas. It was called the Conference Room. And I was underage at the time. And some of my friends, they would go there and they always said, you know, you should come in sometime. And I said, well, I'm not old enough. And they said, oh, they don't really check IDs. And they said, you look to be old enough. So I guess I presented myself as older. As her friends predicted, Kathy got in no problem. But she still had to worry about getting into trouble. And not just because she was underage. Back then, if the uh, the cops came in the bar and saw you like sitting with someone, like you guys are sitting together right now, and if Sarah, you had your arm around Rachel, you know, just like that, you're going to jail. If they are caught dancing, you're going to jail. Touching in any way, you're going to jail. It was the late 1970s, and back then, LGBTQ bars like the conference room had to get creative in order to protect their patrons. When you walked in the door, there was a red light, huge red light. The red light meant police raid. They had a big, one of those big mirrors outside, and they had this one cop, they called him Red, because his hair was red. And he was just a, he was a horrible man. I saw him, you know, kicking, beating several of my friends. But he would always come in, and it was never the same time. And, you know, immediately the red light comes on because they would see him coming. The red light comes on. If you were of age when that light came on, you had to stop dancing and kissing and holding hands and essentially act straight. And for Kathy... All the underage kids... We'd go in the women's bathroom, and we had to climb out of the window. We climbed up on the sink and got out the window and, you know, ran away. Kathy herself was fortunate enough to avoid arrest and violence. But she witnessed what Red did to plenty of her friends. He didn't care. You know, he'd beat the shit out of you and throw you down on the ground, put cuffs on you, and take you to jail. It's pretty horrible. Not any different than some things that are going on today, but still horrible. And while Red had a particular penchant for wreaking havoc on the local gay bars, the police violence wasn't limited to him or to the bars. Guys would be walking down the street and the cop car would pull over and just throw them in the back and just beat them with their sticks or or with their hands. And that's just the way things were back then. And they didn't, they didn't care. They treated us horribly until probably the mid-80s. And according to Kathy, that was because of a Dallas police sergeant named Earl Newsom. We weren't able to reach Sergeant Newsom, who's now retired. But we did find a 1989 article in a magazine called Rodeo. The article's titled White Knight, Interview with Sergeant Earl Newsom, Dallas Police Force. And it pretty much tells us everything we need to know about Newsom's career. It was 1984 when Sergeant Newsom was appointed to the 120th Sector. We've had an actor voice some of his quotes. The 120 happened to be around Cedar Springs in Oaklawn, a major gay entertainment area heavily populated with gays, gay-owned bars and businesses. I didn't mind at all. 
because a person's sexual preference or orientation had never been anything to worry about. His second week on the job, Newsom's captain gave him an assignment to meet with members of the Dallas Gay Alliance about a rally they were planning in the park. I told them all the same thing. You have a perfect right to hold your rally in the parks when you have the correct permits. And I'm going to come to the rally. I don't have any officers scheduled to work it, but I'm going to come there just so I can be there, just in case anyone should attempt to disrupt the rally. And that was the beginning of Newsom's relationship with the Dallas queer community. So from that time on, anytime anyone had a problem in the gay community, and we did have a lot of crime there, they would call me. At that time, my captain worked as a liaison with the gay community. Even before he retired from the department, those duties fell to me. So I was pretty much accepted as a liaison with the gay community. Newsom went on to serve as Grand Marshal for both the Dallas Freedom Day Parade and the Texas Gay Rodeo. He helped raise funds for AIDS research and at the Dallas Police Academy, restructured their cultural awareness training. Of course, gay training has been kind of ignored. So I sat down with Bill Nelson, who was president at the time of the Dallas Gay Alliance, He just opened up the archives to me, gave me memos between the gay lines and the police department, newspaper articles on raids of bathhouses, bars, and so forth. He just opened all these things up to me. According to the article, Newsom was known to Dallas gays as the Lone Ranger of Oaklawn. And Kathy Jack agreed. He was essential in improving relations between the Dallas police and the gay community. He actually came down and had a meeting with everyone at one of our bars and said, you know, things are going to change. There's no reason for all this to be happening. And once that happened, it's, you know, it's never been the same. So we have a lot to thank him for. This is Cruising, a podcast about the last lesbian bars in the U.S. My name is Sarah Gabrielli, and I'm traveling to each one of them with my two friends and chosen family. This is stop number 15, Sue Ellen's. You've probably heard the expression, everything's bigger in Texas. And let me tell you, lesbian bars are no exception. Sue Ellen's is by far the biggest lesbian bar we know of. It has two stories, two levels of outdoor patio seating, a stage, dressing rooms, three pool tables, a spacious dance floor, and throughout all of this, endless elbow room. There are three separate bar areas, and the downstairs bar alone must seat at least 40 people. Every bar is only open on Friday, Saturday. We keep it downstairs pretty much the rest of the week. This is Kathy Jack again. She's the general manager of Sue Ellen's. Kathy grew up in the Dallas area, and her path to the bar industry was a winding one. I think that's why my name is Jack, because I'm the jack of all trades and master of none. But actually, as much as her full name rolls off the tongue, she just goes by Kathy. A lot of people think that Kathy Jack is like Kathy Joe, that Jack is my middle name, but it's my last name. It's always been a thing. My mom's name was Jan, and everybody called her Jan Jack. When Kathy was young, 
She thought she wanted to be a professional horseback rider. So I rode horses and, of course, fell in love with it. And I wa- that's what I was going to do for the rest of my life. And then I fell off a horse and I hurt my back and I couldn't ride anymore. After that, she thought she'd try beauty school. My hairdresser, she said, you'd probably be really good at it because you love to talk to people. And I said, well, I'll give it a try. So that's when I went to beauty school. At beauty school, Kathy met her first girlfriend. We'll call her Emily. I didn't really come out until I went to beauty school. And that's where I met her. And um, we got together in 78. And that's when Kathy went to her first gay bar. Emily brought her. Which was called the boot camp. And one side of it was for women and the other side of it was for men. Long picnic tables and, <laughs> and there was a fight. And we all got under the picnic tables and co- covered our heads because glass was breaking. And you know, it, was, it was a ride for sure. This was a good memory of Kathy's first love. But they aren't all like that. In beauty school, Kathy was thriving. And Emily got really competitive and insecure. And she was very jealous of me because I had more customers than she did. So she said, you either quit doing hair or we're going to break up. And I really did love doing that. I'd probably still be doing that if it weren't for that bitch that I was with. Sorry. But she was pretty horrible. And I didn't want to break up. So like a dummy, I went to work in an auto parts store. And that's how I ended up there. Kathy despised her job at the auto parts store. But that's exactly what would lead her to her first bar job. I didn't want to work there, but that was the only job I could get at the time. And I started going to this bar called the High Country. It was a little bitty country western bar, probably about three miles from my house. So, to blow off steam after a long day of peddling auto parts, Kathy would go to the High Country. A lot. There, she struck up a friendship with the owner, Ray. At this point, it was 1982. And Kathy didn't have any experience in the service industry. But Ray saw something in her. And he called me and he said, we're opening another bar. Would you be willing to be the manager? And he didn't know me. I didn't know how to bartend. I didn't know how to, I didn't know anything about running a bar. But he had faith in me that I could do it. And he gave me a job. Ray wanted to open a ladies' dance bar. And Kathy would help him get it off the ground. And we found a place that was open and ready to move into. And he, you know, gave me the keys and got me started. And <laughs> I don't. sometimes I don't know whether to thank him or punch him in the face, you know, but it's been a great ride. It really has been a great ride. But that was just the beginning of her ride. A few years later, in 1986, Kathy was hired by Cavan Enterprises to work at another bar in Dallas. Village Station. Cavan Enterprises is a parent company. They own a number of LGBTQ plus bars and clubs in Oaklawn, Dallas's gayborhood. You might remember hearing about Oaklawn and Cavan Enterprises in a previous episode. That's because they were the inspiration for the gay strip in Oklahoma City. Here's Kathy. And here on the strip, I don't know if you know what kind of environment we have. We call it the crossroads. 
and it's predominantly a gay area. So if you can keep this all straight, the crossroads is what they call the strip of gay bars. Cedar Springs is the main road the bars are off of, and Oaklawn is the neighborhood where all of this is located. You have Sue's here, and it's right next to JR's. And then you have um, the restaurant here, Woody's, and uh, Woody's is another sports bar. Um, I mean, this whole strip here is just like gay bars and clubs and restaurants that are gay friendly and a lot of LGBTQ, you know, people live in this little area. That was a regular at Sue Ellen's named Erica. The bars she mentions, Sue Ellen's and JR's, are both owned by Cavan Enterprises, along with TMC, The Rose Room, and Station 4, which was formerly known as Village Station. And although the bars are all owned by this parent company, they're run by general managers like Kathy. We all have complete control over our own bars. There's four GMs. I mean, we can't, you know, just go rogue and say, okay, yeah, I'm going to go out and buy $20,000 worth of new lighting equipment. You know, you still have to go through the, the chain of command. But it's like working with any other company, um, you know, you, you have a boss, but they don't have their thumb on you at all times. Cavan Enterprises was founded by a man named Frank Hartford Cavan. C-A-V-E-N. He opened his first gay bar in Texas, in El Paso, in 1963. In the 1970s is when he came to Dallas. This is Chris Bankston. She actually just retired from Cavan in February, after 36 years with the company. So Chris is pretty much an expert on all things Cavan. He was self-made. He, was, he used to be a used car salesman. And, and he changed his vision because he wanted to give uh, gay people a safe place to go. Frank was born in Philadelphia in 1920. As a young adult, he bought a service station there and launched a 28-year career as a used car salesman. On a visit to El Paso in 1955, he saw a business opportunity amongst the pedestrian soldiers of Fort Bliss. So he relocated to Texas and started selling them used cars. How did Frank go from selling cars to running bars? It all happened about 10 years after he first moved to Texas. A 1979 article in D Magazine explains, A GI, one of thousands who had bought a cabin car, came to him with a proposition. If Frank, who had state residency, would secure a liquor license, the GI would put up the money to start a bar in El Paso. Frank agreed, the GI ran out of money, and Frank bought him out. He opened the place and named it Goldfinger. It was packed every night. Then, in 1969, Frank took a trip to Dallas, where he was surprised to find only one gay bar that actually served alcohol. Having been a part of the gay scene in El Paso, he immediately saw what Dallas was lacking, a gay dance bar. So Frank left the automobile business and moved to Dallas. Like I said, because he wanted a safe environment for gay individuals to be able to go to and have a good time. In January of 1970, he opened the Bayou Club. 
It was located in a huge old house in the center of Oaklawn. But it wasn't immediately popular. As the D Magazine article explains, success wasn't instant. Then, two months after the bayou opened, a letter appeared in the widely read Action Line column in the Times-Herald. The letter writer explained that he had happened to wander into a bar on Rollins Street where, to his surprise, he had seen men dancing with men. He wanted to know whether that was legal. That, says Cavan, was like $10,000 worth of free publicity. The tide was turned, the bayou boomed. From then on, it was wall-to-wall bodies. And on February 23rd of 1981, Cavan Enterprises was incorporated. And that's when it became Cavan Enterprises. Uh, Mr. Cavan unfortunately passed away in 1988. Frank was 68 years old when he passed away from lung cancer. At that point, he owned 60 bars across the country. Just two years before Frank passed in 1986, Kathy had started working for Cavan Enterprises at Village Station. Although she had already managed a few other bars, she had to work her way up at Cavan. When I first started, I, I got hired in as a door person because the operations manager was a very good friend of mine. And he knew me from managing other lesbian clubs before this happened. And he hired me. He said, I can't hire you as a manager, but I can hire you in as a door person. And we'll just see how that goes. And I needed a job. So I took the job. This was back in 1986. After just three months of working the door, the old manager was fired. And they immediately put me in his spot. And so it was a shock for everyone, first of all, that I would move from the door and immediately become a manager. Everybody thought of me as, she's working the door, you know, they didn't know me. At the time, Cavan Enterprises as a whole was very male-dominated. And I had about 22, 22 or 23 male employees and one female. And there were three total women working for the entire company. And so there was a lot of pushback from the employees because they didn't understand how that could happen. I could just go from the door to being a manager. Not to mention she was a woman. And Kathy will admit she was kind of strict. You know, I got bitch, dyke. They would call me names as as I would pass by them, you know, under their breath. It was a tough first couple of months, you know. They were used to the guys being the managers, and they kind of let them do whatever they wanted to do, and, and I, I don't manage that way. It was kind of tough on them, but they didn't get it. I, didn't, I wasn't going to take time to explain it to them. I figured it, the more they got to know me, the more hopefully they would respect me and like me, and that's exactly what happened. The one female employee that Kathy mentioned, that was Chris Bankston. And she was a bartender, and she had just started about seven months before I did. Chris had moved to Dallas from Illinois in 1983. I lived right down the street from the clubs, and um, I needed extra money. I didn't have a car. I was taking the bus every day. And uh, it took me about a year and a half to convince them to give me a chance. When she finally started working at Cavan, Chris had a similar experience to Kathy. It was difficult because I was and am a straight woman. 
So when I got hired in as a bartender, uh, some of the gentlemen were not real happy about it. It took some time for everybody to get used to each other. While Kathy and Chris were working at Village Station, there weren't any women's bars on the Strip. As I worked there year after year, I got a lot of women that were coming in looking for a place because they didn't have a dance club anymore. And so I went to my bosses and I said, you know, what do you think about opening a girls bar? And they said, well, we don't know anything about lesbians, you know. And I said, well, I certainly do. And I would love to have the chance to show you what we can do with a lesbian club here in Dallas. And the big bosses at Cavan, they went for it. It took about a year and a half to get it off the, the ground. And we opened up in January of 1989 and unlocked the doors at 7 o'clock on the 19th of January. The name Sue Ellens comes from the TV show Dallas. At that time, the show was very popular. And of course, J.R. was married to Sue Ellen. Where are you going? You better stop drinking, Sue Ellen. There's nothing uglier than a woman can't handle her liquor. You can't keep running out on me! And so we had a J.R.'s bar and grill down at one end of the block, and Sue Ellen's was at the other end of the block. So it made sense that we just call it Sue Ellen's. So that's where the name came from. Most people these days don't remember that show. They just assume it was named after somebody that used to work here or something. But that's how the name came up. Linda Gray herself, who played Sue Ellen on Dallas, came into the bar once around 2007. I think they brought the show back for a few years. And that she came down with a couple of other castmates. And they just spent the evening here. I think they spent a couple of hours here and uh, talked with people and signed autographs. And uh, it was a, you know, a great time. And she was very flattered by the whole thing. I know that. Sue Ellen spent its first 20 years or so in a different space than it's in now. A smaller one with a much different aesthetic. When we opened in 1989, back then, the big fad was like Miami Vice. Someone's in a big hurry. Let's check it out. It was, everything was the glass bricks and the neon and the turquoise colors. And so that's how we, we opened. That's, I mean, that's what Sue Ellen's looked like. If you ever see a movie about any place in Miami, it looked like any bar that you would see in Miami. When you walked in, right in front of you was a big glass brick wall four different shades of green, blue, teal, turquoise. I always joke now that I don't want to see anything teal or anything turquoise for the rest of my life. It was different for Dallas and definitely different for the crossroads, the block that I work on. And it was also different for Cavan Enterprises. People always said, you know, it's it's a beautiful bar. It's a beautiful bar. And at the time, all the rest of the bars for, on the Strip were not you wouldn't walk in and say, wow, that's a beautiful bar. But they really went all out because, like I said, you know, they'd never done a bar for women before. So they wanted to make it pretty. And, and it, was, it was. It really was. It was striking. And the guys got really jealous. You know, so then everything had to change. Whenever we remodeled another bar, it had to be as pretty or prettier than Sue Ellen's. There was kind of this divide between the men and the women in the Oaklawn queer community. But Kathy never wanted to exclude anyone at Sue Ellen's. 
everybody gave me a hard time when we opened Sue Ellen's because they said, you know, we want this bar to be ours. And I said, well, I'm all about that. As long as I have anything to do with Sue Ellen's, it will always be a lesbian bar, but I'm not going to keep people from coming in. If they want to come in and have fun with us, then they're more than welcome to come in. Now, if they want to come in and hassle us or try to pick somebody up or that kind of stuff or cause trouble, then I'll be the first one to throw them out. But it took a while for men to start coming into Sue Ellen's, even for Kathy's close friends and regular customers. The guys didn't feel comfortable coming in. Some of my best customers that I had in the bar literally next door would walk right by me like they didn't even know me and wouldn't come in. And then finally, a few guys would come in and they, I go, I'm so glad you're here. And they're like, well, we wanted to come in because we knew we could be here together and wouldn't get hassled by the other guys, you know, flirting and all that kind of stuff. They knew they could come into a lesbian club and just have a good time and have a good time with the women. And so that's when things started changing. Today, Sue Ellen's is still lesbian-centric, but it's definitely a mixed crowd. Right now, it's about 40% men and 60% women. That's the way it should be, I think. And the neighborhood of Oaklawn has diversified over the years as well. We have a lot of straight people in the community that we live in. They all live down the street. And they come down and they party at the gay bars, and they love it. This is a very extremely mixed area now as far as uh, gay, straight, transgender. It all works because people take pride in the area and it's just continuing to get better. Continuing to get better. Also code for gentrification, for better or for worse. The difference between then and now is this is one of the most expensive areas in Dallas to live and to you know, have any kind of entertainment to eat out, to drink, to, you know, anything. But Kathy and Chris remember the old Oak Lawn. When I used to come down here when I was in high school to what it is today, it's it's completely different. In 1975, I was a senior in high school at that time, and um, I would come down through this area because I grew up not too far from here in northwest Dallas. And we would come down, you know, on a weekend night and see all the prostitutes. And it wasn't an ideal place to visit or be around. Most of it was really run down and the houses and apartments around it were run down. And then when Frank came in, Frank really cleaned this area up and helped to make it what it is today. Cavan Enterprises itself has played a huge role in developing the area. Because he, he came in and started building on and building new places and uh, took out some of the old businesses that were not preferable for what he was looking at. So a lot of those places went out of business or he bought them out. He was definitely the beginning. But with doing what, they, what he did, it got other people to come to the area that opened up uh, retail, that opened up restaurants. Because they had the same, they had the same caring that Frank did to make the the area better. Uh, I think you can attribute Frank with being the catalyst. But it's it's you know like they say it takes a village. You know it's taken a lot of people coming into the area that cared the same way Frank did. Sue Ellen's has always been on this block since its opening in 1989. 
but it didn't move to the current space until 2007. This spot used to belong to TMC, another cavern bar, and the old turquoise Suellens was located at the other end of the block. In the early 2000s, both TMC and Suellens were growing quickly. So Cavan decided to renovate TMC and build the big multi-level bar that I described. The customers were not real thrilled that they made TMC so big. It lost its ambiance of a smaller space. Sue Ellen's needed more space, especially with the bands and all of that. So they moved Sue Ellen's down here and moved TMC down there. We kept saying, we need to remodel, we need to remodel and make us bigger. And we wanted a second floor. And they were like, well, why don't we just move you down there and move them down here because they want a first floor and that's all. As we mentioned, this new space has three bars. There's a huge rectangular bar on the ground floor, which was open when we visited. Then a bar upstairs near the performance space. And then we've got another bar that we've dedicated to one of the ladies that worked for us for many, many years. She was my very first employee at Sue Ellen's back in 1989, and she passed away. And so now it's called the Joy Bar, which makes everybody happy. Kathy first met Joy while Joy was bartending at another club in the area. She was about 5'1 or 5'2, and uh, she had white hair. She was an early grade, and uh, we just became friends. She was super friendly. She always loved to tell a joke. They weren't always very funny, but she was, she was funny. And um, everybody knew Joy. And so I asked her one day, I said, if we open this club, would you be interested in coming to work for me? Joy didn't give Kathy a straight answer at first, but eventually. She showed up one day and she said, what can I do? And I said, start painting some bar stools. Joy was really popular around Sue Ellen's. Not because she was an amazing bartender, but because she was fun. She always had the longest line at her well, even though she wasn't uh, the fastest bartender or the best bartender, because she always had a joke and she always had little props that she'd always use. Like, she just always had a little shtick all the time. You turn around and she'd have bunny teeth on, a cockroach on top of your beer can, little rubber cockroaches everywhere. Mustache. And her mustaches and uh, just all kinds of things that she'd try just to get a laugh out of anybody. And, and, you know, they kept coming back. And I'd, I'm like going around the line because I hate to see anybody waiting on a drink. So I'd go to the line and go, you know, we've got other bartenders that are just waiting for a customer. And they're like, no, we don't mind waiting. We want to wait on Joy. So she'd have a 10-person, 12-person line. And the other bartenders would just stand around and watch her. Her personality was just off the chain. She was just always, always in a great mood and, you know, she didn't mind telling you if she thought you were a kind of not her best friend. She liked to call everybody a needle dick. Joy worked at Sue Ellen's until she was about 72 years old. She retired around 2015 after 29 years there and passed a few years after that. I've never met anybody like her. I, I really have not. And in, in all my years of being in the bar business, I think there's been only one person like her that I've, I've met. So that's why, when Joy passed, Kathy wanted to pay tribute to her at Sue Ellen's. In late 2020, when they reopened, she officially named the upstairs bar the Joy Bar. Everybody wants to have a little joy. 
So that's how it, we came up with it. We visited on a Wednesday, so the Joy Bar wasn't open. But we took a tour past the larger-than-life photos of Joy on the walls next to the bar. And this is the Joy Bar. This picture over here. Joy wearing her bunny teeth. Joy with her wallet-sized photo of Pride Furniture Wax and Joy dish soap. See the Pride and Joy down there? You see it in her wallet. She would be like, want to see my Pride and Joy? And then she'd show you her wallet. From up here, you can look through the glass wall, down at the dance floor and bar on the main floor. And that's where we spent most of our night, with the small crowd sitting around the bar. At Sue Ellen's, the Wednesday night bartender is Shelly Gray Knight. I used to work here in the mid-90s, and here, my second stint, I've been here about three years. Shelly first started bartending at Sue Ellen's in 1994 at 23 years old. So I was back when they had sand pit volleyball and everything behind Sue's and grilling on Sundays. You bring your meat and they give you salad and potato. It was just so much fun. Lots of fun. And bands, live music. Just, I, I miss it. Shelly has lived quite a full life since those early days at Sue Ellen's. After about three years there, she left the bar to pursue a 20-year career in teaching. She taught English overseas and traveled... But about three years ago, life brought her right back to her roots at Sue Ellen's. I had cancer. Yeah, so I had to move home from San Antonio and went through treatment. And then I was like, you know, education is probably a little too stressful for for me, especially after battling that. So I uh, retired from education and I decided this is my last hurrah. I like to end my working career as a bartender. And Shelly has always loved working at Sue Ellen's. I enjoy the people, and I see people that t- even today that I knew, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago. They'll come in and go, hey, oh, my God, you know, it just, it feels good. You know, it's a good feeling, and I enjoy this job. Shelly is part of a local group called Lesby Friends Dallas. The whole idea behind it is we don't want somebody to come in here and sit by themselves and just feel isolated. Lesby Friends is a social group, but it also focuses a lot on local activism. We do a lot to give back to the community. We definitely focus on diversity and inclusion. Um, And one of our thrusts is to support our local lesbian bar. This is Erica Sanders, the Sue Ellen's regular. She's also the founder of Lesby Friends Dallas. Really, one of the biggest parts of the group is bringing business to Sue Ellen's. We try to have as many events as we can here locally in the bar at Sue Ellen's. Um, We come every other Wednesday or every second and fourth Wednesday of the month, and we support um, a local bartender, Shelly. She's really awesome. I try to do my little part to do what I can. So I come here probably more than I should. Uh, (laughs) um, Right now, I think Sue's is open Wednesday through Sunday, and I'm here Wednesday, Thursday, Friday for happy hour, uh, some Saturdays and Sundays. When Erica first started going out in Dallas, she didn't know about Sue Ellen's. That's not where her friends were hanging out. Being a woman of color, being a queer woman of color, um, I was going to some other clubs. Um, they're more, they had a lot more black people there like Elm and Pearl and The Brick and places like that. I mean, they were cool, but I didn't really, like, identify with the music or watching the shows all night long. 
I mean, that's fine. I get it. Um, that's a very popular thing. Um, but it just wasn't for me. I would prefer to like, you know, just have a drink, listen to some, you know, different kind of music, kind of dance a little bit, just have a good time um, and see all kinds of people. Erica eventually ended up at Sue Ellen's in 2008. The first time I came here, I was just looking around. I was like, there are so many lesbians in Dallas. Like, I was in lesbian heaven. I was like, I'm going to be a little slut monster, but ended up not completely doing that. But I was like, yeah, there's a lot of things to do out here. So, yeah, I ended up meeting like a lot of people. It's totally valid to seek out bars where everyone else looks and feels like you. I mean, that's why we like lesbian bars to begin with, isn't it? As humans, we naturally tend to drift towards people that look like us. I mean, that's just a natural thing that we do. But if we can kind of go against that and try to break that box and do something different, then it, it just it's there's no limit to the things that we can do. That's just always been how Erica rolls. She would rather meet people of all different backgrounds that don't necessarily look like her. I have a natural journalistic mindset to want to understand people so that we can all be better and strengthen ourselves. Like, I work on myself, and I think that we all should, like, work on ourselves. So, yeah, I think it's just my natural niche. It's just something that I want to do. I've always wanted to be that way. And that idea is the second big part of Lesbi Friends Dallas. It's about meeting someone that doesn't necessarily look like you and saying, hey, this is someone that I can relate to that I didn't even know I related to just because they simply don't look like me. Erica started Lesbi Friends just this past August, and it grew pretty quickly. Today they have about 900 members on Facebook. But despite the name, the group is not exclusively for lesbians. Erica encourages all members of the Dallas queer community to join. And she thinks that is the key to reinvigorating lesbian nightlife. It's just a culture that we're trying to build here. Um, We know that the way that we can save all of our bars um, is that we all have to come together and make it a safe space and make it comfortable for everybody to be able to come in. I think that's the key. On Wednesdays, when Shelly is behind the bar and Erica organizes a meetup, they have a system for shaping that culture of inclusivity and warmth. Here's Shelly again. So I'll talk to the person. If Erica's here, I'll say, come on down here. You know, we introduce. And we've really gotten a lot of members that way. And they're happy. And it's so nice, you know, to have that. So I want people to feel welcome here, regardless of color or this or any anything. No, no, no boundaries as far as, you know, everybody's welcome. And Erica is so good at that. She's such a, she's pretty amazing. And so far, it's worked. Erica and Lesby friends have brought in a lot of consistent business for Sue Ellen's. Here's Kathy. They've been a really great addition to um, our crowd. They do a lot of parties here. They do karaoke and game night or game happy hour and all those kind of things. And I I think it's, it's been really beneficial for them and for us. All of our bars have been doing better since we've reopened than we've done. Sue Ellen's has never done this well, as long as it's been Sue Ellen's. 
we were closed, totally shuttered for almost a year. And I think it's it's brought us all closer together, you know. So just the fact that we're open and playing music again and watching people dance and having a good time is it's it's a really great feeling. I'm glad I, I'm around to see it. Cruising is reported and produced by Rachel Carp, Jen McGinnity, and me, Sarah Gabrielli. Our theme song is by Joey Freeman, and our voice actor was Rowan Shea. If you like cruising, want to support us, and get access to more content, then join our Patreon at patreon.com slash cruisingpod. You can also check out our website at cruisingpod.com or follow us on social media at cruisingpod. Special thanks this week to Kathy, Chris, Erica, and Shelly. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts.